said to me at the time, God's called me to be a lawyer in Boston, to which either I've been disobedient or uh, it wasn't God speaking. And that experience makes me think about how we teach our kids to hear from God and if we really know how to hear from Him. Because there's times in my life where uh, I think I hear Him saying something or prompting me to do something, but I'm, I'm not all that sure. And so today I want to talk about how in prayer, as we're focused on prayer at home and praying in our families, how do we hear from God, not just speak to Him? But if we're going to speak into that, if we're going to listen to God, there's some things we have to know about our culture that make it very difficult to hear. I, I believe that our culture, one of the biggest challenges to hearing from God is the addiction that we have to doing, to always being on the go. And one of the cultural icons of that is Nike's catchphrase from 88, if you can believe that, just do it, right? This is kind of a cultural mantra for us, isn't it? That we don't just talk or don't just, you know, make plans about what we're going to, we just need to go out there and do it. You hear this in corporate boardrooms, I'm sure. You hear this in schools that you're a part of. You hear this in every part of life, and it's Nike's mantra, and it's been one of the greatest ad campaigns. It's still on their website today, I found it. But just do it has become so much a part of our culture, a culture of doing, which i got to say, there's a part of me that says that's exactly what it ought to be about. We spend too much time talking and waiting, and sometimes we spend too much time praying rather than living into what God's already called us to do. But we're going to talk more about that idea next week. This week is about learning to listen and to hear, maybe not launching into doing before we get a call from God first. So what are the challenges in our culture if you think about our lives and what we're called to do? What are the challenges about hearing from God? And I think part of it is what, is what I've said, that we want to be that kind of people that do this. Now, I remember talking with Maddox not too long ago about this idea. This was the challenge was it's one thing for us to believe certain things, but we teach our kids certain things as well. And so when we were talking about coming to Greenville Oaks, we talked to them, and it was a challenge for them to understand because they've always lived in Colorado. They've always been a part of the church at Littleton. And so to think about going into a new place was difficult to get inside their minds. And I, So Maddox asked us, why are we going? And, and Holly and I said, well, we believe that God's called us uh, to go to this church and help them like we've helped the people at Littleton. And so we believe this is a call on our lives. And, and Maddox's response was, but God doesn't talk. How did you hear him? Which got me to thinking about what we teach our kids, right? That maybe in our prayers we say so much and we don't take time to listen. And Maddox had picked up on that, on that along the way. So what are we teaching our kids? What do we believe ourselves about hearing from God? Today I want to talk about how we listen to God. But I believe one of the challenges is living in this culture where it's all about doing. In fact, uh, one of the greatest problems and one of the pro- greatest hurdles to hearing from God, I believe, is an ability, an inability to be silent and still and present in front of God or really anywhere. Because if you go to a restaurant, you go to a waiting area, right? Ten years ago, you might have had awkward conversations with people that were expected. But now what do you do as soon as you get a quiet moment at the restaurant in the waiting area, right? I don't have it in my pocket, but you pull out your phone, right? We, we've kind of lost this ability almost to engage with other people. Some of our families, there's going to be a real struggle with our, our kids in the next generation of how do we engage face-to-face and not just mobile communication that come, becomes our first thing that we do when we get to a moment. We don't know how to be still. Two minutes was an eternity for some of you when we spent that time together. 
So how do we cultivate this space for God to speak? How do we cultivate an ear to hear, not just this doing mentality that keeps us from hearing? Well, this week we saw another challenge to this, right? The iPhone 6 was announced. And the Apple Watch, right? So now in your meetings you don't just have to pull out your cell phone. You just look like you're looking at your watch and you can see your email notifications and all that, right? I mean, this culture is just coming at us over and over again with challenges for us to, to, we, we just struggle to find time to hear and to listen. How much time of silence do you spend a week? I mean, I live in a, a house with three kids under the age of six. Do you think there's any silence in my life? More than my wife's life. I get paid to spend some time in silence. But some of you are being challenged on a daily basis. How do we create this space for God to speak? Recently, I heard about a, a study out of Harvard. They were t- t- looking at people's lives and, and did a survey and a study about what brings the most happiness to our lives. When we're most at peace, when we're most happy. And what they found uh, was that there's a direct correlation between our ability to be present in the current moment and our happiness factor. So it's interesting. It's actually two times more important that you're present in the moment than it is to actually what you're doing in the moment, which is so counterintuitive to what we think because we think we have to be doing fun things or big things or go on a vacation to finally have fun. But what the study tells us is it's not so much what you're doing, it's how present you are while you're doing it no matter what it is. If you think about the addictions we have to our screens and all these things, how many times are you sitting in front of a TV and you've got your iPad or phone over here and you've got your kids over in this part of the house and, and you're not really doing anything and being present to anything. You're just engaged in all these different things. What we're finding out is actually that that is uh, very counterproductive to the happiness of our lives. What would it look like as a church? Imagine what it would look like as, a, as families in our church to begin to develop the, the ministry of presence with one another. I mean, how many times have you been at a lunch recently and you haven't been able to have a full conversation because someone's going to be interrupted by a text or a phone call? What did we do without the iPhone, right? Well, we learned to communicate with one another and be present, and our lives were actually better for it. So when you're present, you're happiness. So I guess that's my question this morning starting out before we go to the text is, are you here this morning? Not just is your body here, not just did you pull into the parking lot and walk in, but are you present? Are you ready to receive from God? Because if we're all over the place, we're not going to find anything that God wants to share with us. So I want to invite you to be present this morning. We're going to open our Bibles to, to, to a passage of Scripture. I'd encourage you to open uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 5. If you have your phones, you can turn there, but try to stay off the other apps, right? 1 Samuel chapter 5. But I want to talk about 1 Samuel chapter 4 because we have to have some context for this story. So in 1 Samuel 4, the people of Israel are being taken over. The Philistines have defeated them. And the Philistines have taken the ark of God into their own possession. Now we know the ark of God is an important thing because Indiana Jones is willing to fight the Nazis for it, right? Now we know that the, the, the ark of the covenant is a huge thing, right? Inside that ark, there's several things. You remember them? There's two tablets with the Ten Commandments that are written on them. There's a jar of manna that reminds them that God had provided for them while they were in the wilderness. Aaron's staff is in the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, God, it was thought that his presence was between the cherubim right there. That was his holy place within the Holy of Holies. So this was an important thing. And just like them going into exile and not having the temple to connect with God, it's the same idea when it comes to the wilderness and the Ark being taken. Where is God when where God has, has been before is not there? How do we interact with God when we don't have a temple or an Ark? So this is what happens next. 1 Samuel 5, beginning in verse 1. 
After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple and set it beside Dagon. So you got the picture here? The Philistines have this temple that's devoted to Dagon, their god. And on one pedestal, they've got some statue that Dagon sits on. He's their god. But then they set up another pedestal, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the same space, and they've got that set up as well. So the Ark is sitting within uh, this temple to another god. Let's read on. Verse 3. Watch what happens the next morning. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. Now, this would be an interesting scene. I'd like to see it in real life, right? Because you got Dagon, it's his whole temple, and all of a sudden you walk in the next morning and he's bowing down to the Ark of God. Uh, which you're thinking, if this is his temple and he's God, he wouldn't be down, bowing down to the other one, right? Now, imagine how awkward this is to be the servant that walks in and thinks, well, I guess we've got to put him back on a stand, right? Because he's God. So, so he does that, but then we read what happens the next morning in verse 4. But, but uh, the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and his hands had been broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. Have you read this story before? This is a great one. Because not only is he down on the floor, now he doesn't have any hands or, or a head. What, uh, what, you want to worship that God? Is that the God you want to worship? And then the guy's got to figure out this morning, do we... Do we reattach the hands and the head so that we can worship them again? I mean, this is a silly situation in some ways, right? Who worships a God that they create with their own hands? But I think a lot of us could tell stories in our own lives of Dagons, right? Who end up broken on the floor. They're not gods that can do anything, but we just kind of set them back up and, and they find their place in our lives again. So the next morning, it says they rose in verse 4. Did you notice that? It's almost like a, a, it's an allusion for me to the temples or the resurrection story. Early that morning, the women rose and went to the tomb. It's a reminder. It's a, it, it's, it, we ought to have these things clicking in our minds when we read the story of Dagon. That, that, that certain gods are not God and there are gods who are living, who come out of the tomb, who are truly God. 1 Samuel 5, verse 6. The Lord's hand was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And its vicinity. He brought devastation on them and afflicted them with tumors. Now, you may notice a footnote in your Bible there with tumors if you're looking at it. It's kind of an interesting thing. There's a struggle to interpret that Hebrew word. It can mean tumor, tumor something. People think it's the bubonic plague or some kind of plague in that time. It can also mean hemorrhoids. I'm serious. So this is not a good thing, right? And the people of God realize this because they get these things on their bodies, either tumors or whatever. And so they decide, we've got to get rid of this ark. Like, it's, it's not doing us any good, right? Dagon isn't any good anymore, and, and, and our bodies are ailing. And so they, they get rid of the ark. But this story, it shows us the foolishness of worshiping idols. I mean, what is it like to, to build something and then worship it? It's, it's to worship the creation rather than the creator. And the creation is never going to do anything back. It's never going to respond back. In fact, you remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 18? You can flip there if you want real quick. 1 Kings 18 is the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And there's this contest between the prophets of Baal. Right, The prophets of Baal, there's 450 of them. And they've got an altar over here. And then Elijah has an altar with Yahweh. And so it's a contest between Baal and Yahweh. And so the prophets of Baal begin to do their work calling out to God. 
And what they want is whoever's God, uh, the real God is the one who's going to light the fire and set it on fire, right? Light the sacrifice. So the prophets of Baal start shouting to their God. They start praying to their God. And, and, and then they start even slashing their wrists and the blood flows. They're trying to do anything they can to alert the gods. And it's a great story if you read it later this week, what Elijah says in the midst of that, kind of taunting them about it, right? So they're doing everything. They're making all kinds of noise and, and nothing happens. In fact, let, let's read about it here. It's 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verse 29. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. I love that. Three reminders, right? There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Some of us have been praying to some gods that have been doing some of that. Like we respond to the gods and it seems like, I have security in the bank account and then 08 happens and we start to wonder what's going to be thereafter. Or we, we put our security and our, our hope in this, and, and we can do anything we want to yell to these gods to do something, and there's not going to be any response. In fact, they, they might have broken hands and a head laying on the floor, right? But, but look what happens when Elijah prays to Yahweh. First Kings 18, verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. No fanfare, no yelling and screaming, no blood flowing, just a simple prayer request that says, God, would you hear me and would you answer? And sure enough, the sacrifice gets lit. I think these two pictures are pictures that we still see in our culture of, of what it looks like to worship gods that will not answer and the living God that actually will. And this is where I want to go to an interesting verse in Habakkuk, your favorite book of the Bible, I'm sure. The one verse, if you have memorized one, I'm, I'm guessing you might re- remember this, is Habakkuk 2.20. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, if you heard this verse quoted to you as a young child, it was probably in the context it was quoted to me. I was the preacher's kid, and I was running around the church, and someone said, Habakkuk 2.20, right? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Be reverent. Don't run in the sanctuary of God. I don't think that's what this verse is about. I think this actually has to do with with hearing something from God. In fact, let's go back to the verses that precede that. Habakkuk 2, verse 18. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trusts in his own creation? He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. Silver, There is no breath in it. See, when it comes to verses 18 and 19, it's the same story as Dagon. It's the same story as the prophets of Baal, when you pray to a God that you create, when you pray to something that's covered in gold and silver, don't expect a response. But when you come to the living God, Yahweh, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Because this God, in the silence, might actually have something to say. And I think this is so important in our culture where we are so busy and some of our worship services look more like this than they do like that. That if, if we just, 
If we just create an experience, right, and we have it all go in this direction, we have no uh, stops between the flow, then, 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 we'll, then God will speak and we won't feel nervous. But part of the living God speaking is actually having silence enough to hear him because we believe he might have actually something to say. And it's easy to throw stones at the church, but what about our own lives, right? Like our prayers, it's so easy to just say words and say words and offer prayers up, but part of prayer is also creating space where God can speak into that because we don't serve idols that have their head and hands broken off. We serve a living God who might actually want to say something to us. And to me, this is the greatest reminder in our culture that if God is present, it's okay to be silent because this God actually is going to do something. He might show up in some way. Now, in my life, I've never had an experience where God has audibly spoken words to me. I I know some of you have had those experiences, and I love hearing those stories because it reminds me that God is still active today. Maybe you've heard a voice even. I've heard those stories. Or or maybe you've had a a vision or a dream, and God said something so clear to you, and, 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 and you still hang your hat by faith on those experiences of direct interaction with God. That's not my story. But i got to tell you, I have had experiences where I felt promptings of the Spirit, and God has, has worked through those things, and I've sensed His Word, His calling on my life. It's happened three times in my life. It doesn't happen all the time. One of those was when I was called to ministry. I, I felt this prompting. The gifts seemed to align with those things, and I checked that with other people. And, and, and the, I can tell you that story more in detail another time, but God seemed to affirm that call through different uh, ways. And I, I, I think I, I sensed His voice in that. Another time was when we went to, uh, to our church at Littleton. We, we were just coming out of school, and this was a great opportunity for us to grow in our marriage, away from our families, and, and start a family. And God worked through that time, grew me up in so many ways. I'm grateful for that experience. We felt the call of God there. The third time is when we felt the call to this place, to Greenville Oaks. But I guess I come back to that same question that Maddox asked, because I think we need to know the answer to this one. And what he said was, But God doesn't talk, does he? You can't really hear God. And I just want to share with you my response to Maddox's question. And maybe you overhearing this will allow you a chance to think about how we hear from God. And maybe if you're somebody who likes to take notes, this may be a place in the service to write down some things. But but the first thing I said to Maddox was, Maddox, one of the ways we hear from God is through Scripture, through the Bible. That God has inspired the word of God. And sometimes, have you ever had this experience where you go to a scripture that you've read over and over and over again, all of a sudden on the 501st time, you see something you've never seen before? See, that's the word that's living and active. That's the Holy Spirit that's still interacting with this text that that the Holy Spirit inspired so many years ago. But I love those experiences because it reminds me that the Bible still has things to speak into our day and our age. Habakkuk 2.20 is relevant, is it not? And so this is good news is that Scripture, and one of the things that Scripture does is when we discern the will of God, Scripture gives the boundaries to discernment of his will because he's inspired this text, right? So if someone comes to me this week, I suggest you not have this conversation with me. I'll tell you what I'd say if you came up. But if someone came up and said, I'm married right now, but God has called me to marry another woman, and and so uh, I'm going to get out of this marriage and I'm going to marry this other woman, I would say, okay, that's not the will of God. Because Scripture's clear about what the, the covenant of marriage is and, 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 and sexuality and certain boundaries. And so, th- no, this is not God's will for your life. You're not to go sleep with that woman and then figure out the details along the way. See, Scripture gives us boundaries to understanding the will of God. There's certain things that cannot be the will of God if we feel a prompting 
Because Scripture is already shown by God's inspiration in that. The second thing I said to Maddox was, but when we have the Holy Spirit as Christians, when God gifts us with the Spirit, we have promptings from God, uh, certain feelings that, that the Spirit works in our lives in some ways. And so uh, never are those promptings, if they're from God, outside of that boundary of Scripture, right? But, but we feel like the Holy Spirit still speaks and interacts and works in our lives to push us in certain directions and keep us away from certain things, to flee temptation or to move to new locations and start new jobs. That's what we've experienced. But it doesn't end there. The third part of this is there, you, you need to find people in your life that are going to discern with you. Godly people who can help you discern the will of God in your life. Godly people who know Scripture and those boundaries as well. People who know you in the situation. So when we came to Greenville Oaks, that was one of the things we did. Is we tested this will, this prompting we felt with people who knew this church and people who knew us and our gifts and, and, and our experience there. There were people even at Littleton that we walked through that discernment process with, which is interesting to walk through with people that know you're going to be leaving. But there was this common sense here and this common sense among some that we were walking with that said, no, this seems to be God's will. So to me, these are three ways that we kind of track to, to hear from God in ways. And this isn't a perfect process. It's not a formula you go through and then you get it on the other side. But Scripture, in some way, speaks. We feel promptings from the Spirit. And then we discern with a godly group. And if you're not a part of a connecting point group, to me, this is a huge part of what our small groups are all about, right? Is having a godly group of people who know us and, and, and know Scripture and know uh, God's will and are working with the Spirit in conjunction with us that are discerning the Spirit of God in our lives together. Does that make sense? So I, let me end with just uh, saying this. A lot of things in our culture, people say, you hear this phrase a lot, right? Don't just sit there, do something. And I get that phrase, right? I mean, there's a sense in which that's true in some circumstances. And I'll talk more about that next week, about how prayer and action go together. But today I want to say to you, don't just do something. Sit there. Don't, don't just launch out and do God's activity. There, there's seasons of ministry in Jesus' life where he sits there and he spends time with God in prayer before he launches out to do ministry. Maybe that's the challenge we can end with today is to realize that, that God may be calling you to something, but you're not going to be able to hear that in the midst of the activity if we don't create space to be present with God. And this is one of the most countercultural traits that we can live out as God's people, I think, in this time and in this culture. So let me close uh, with a prayer and a challenge just to you all to find space in your 752 prayers this week. If you're new this week, we've launched a campaign called Prayer at Home trying to get our families to engage in prayer together seven times as individuals, five times as families, two times as uh, spouses or as close friends that are joining in prayer together. And so uh, in your times this week, we encourage you to create space for silence and listening to God, not just speaking one way to him. Let's pray together as we close our time. God, we've said too many words today, and sometimes it takes uh, a break to, to hear from you. And I pray that that time of silence was in some way just a, a breath of fresh air of what could be. You know, I think about my wife, Holly. I think about others that just, it's really hard to find time in this stage of life. We can find so many ways to, to be busy, and, and it's just impossible to get a moment of quiet, it seems like. And so, God, wherever we find ourselves, God, help us to listen. And please speak this week as we find times of, of quiet. Help us to find godly people that we can engage with, that can be a part of our lives, that can discern with us your will in our lives. We believe you want to communicate with us. And God, we believe you are a living God who still speaks. 
You're not the God of Baal. You're not Dagon who breaks his hands and his arms off. God, you're a God who's living, who still brings your fire today, God. So today we just ask for that, that you would, you would bring that to us, God. Help us to discern that. Help us to move in conjunction with your will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. We'll be standing now. I want to just give a quick blessing as we leave these doors today. <clears throat> May the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May we love God and love people and serve others. Go in peace.